This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, Future of Everything listeners. A quick note before we start today's episode. We've made a change. We're bringing you even more of the original reporting and interviews you've come to expect. Check us out weekly on Fridays. And let us know what you think. Drop a line to foepodcast at wsj.com. Also, just a heads up that we say the names of some common voice assistants several times in this episode. If it activates one in your home, we apologize. Michael Cash lives in Tel Aviv, Israel. I'm 49 years old. I grew up in England. He says he's 49 years old and grew up in England. You might have trouble understanding him because he has cerebral palsy. It's how I've always spoken. He says it's how he's always spoken. Though his friends and family have always understood him, he says he needed many years of speech therapy to feel confident in speaking with everyone else. So that they could understand me and my sense of humor. He says so that they can understand him and his sense of humor. Digital tools can be useful for everyone, but for Cash, it means being able to make himself understood. He works as a product specialist at Voiceit, a company that makes voice tools for people with non-standard speech, including one that helps him communicate with a set vocabulary in one-on-one conversations. It even integrates with Amazon's Alexa to control the TV and air conditioning around his home. But when it comes to tools built into voice assistants like Alexa or Apple Siri, he's found using them frustrating. It's been about a decade since AI voice assistants became commonplace. They're baked into cell phones and smart speakers. And in that time, people have figured out how to put them to good use. Hey, Google, play ocean sounds. Alexa, call brother. Siri, play the radio. Alexa, volume down. Volume down. Alexa, stop. But these voice assistants are far from perfect. Many of the big companies, such as Google, say that the error rates of their automatic speech recognition tools can be less than 10%. But for people whose voices are affected by neurologic conditions like Parkinson's or voice-specific conditions, that error rate can be far higher, as much as 50 or even 90%. I missed something. Can you say it again? But what if AI voice assistants simply worked better for everyone, right out of the box, no training required? From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osala. Today, we're talking about how academics and tech companies like Amazon and Google are working to make AI voice assistants better for people with atypical voices. If they can make it happen, AI voice assistants could work better for all of us. Stick around. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden... Just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. 
How do you make a voice assistant anyway? Mark Hasagawa Johnson, a professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, says it's changed a lot in the past decade or so. Making the models used to rely on audio data that's matched up with transcripts, called labeled data. But these days, you need about a thousand hours of audio without any associated transcripts. This is called, you guessed it, unlabeled data. And you have a neural network, which is an algorithm whose relationship between its input and its output is determined by a lot of numbers. And so we want to learn all of those numbers in a way that this neural network is able to predict the speech sounds that are coming up, given the speech sounds that have come before. It takes a lot of computing power to train up the algorithm, Hasegawa Johnson says. The last time that we tried that here at the university, it took three weeks to do that training run. So that's quite a lot of compute time. But once that's done, the researchers can test it so they can fine-tune the algorithm. We feed a bunch of labeled data, see how it does, and then figure out what we can do in order to make it do better and keep adjusting it to make it do better and better. Sounds simple enough, right? Well, making these voice recognition models wasn't possible until relatively recently. In fact, Hasegawa Johnson knows exactly when. I would say that really the key moment was probably December 2014, when the first commercially viable end-to-end neural network automatic speech recognizer was published. In other words, some researchers made an algorithm that could recognize the sounds we make when we speak and transcribe them. What they didn't have was a ton of data to train their algorithm. Coincidentally, a few months after that, a revolutionary database went online, LipperSpeech, which had hundreds of hours of amateur audiobook recordings. Another group of researchers from Johns Hopkins University correlated those audiobooks with written words in the online free library Project Gutenberg, and suddenly they had a data set to work with. I believe that the existence of that data made the deep learning automatic speech recognition revolution possible. Hasegawa Johnson says that database was such a big deal because researchers finally had enough training data for their AI voice assistants to be actually usable. And that had the potential to make them commercially viable. The much larger data sets and the end-to-end neural network training systems that became available made it possible for companies to create products that would actually be used by real people. But those error rates didn't drop quite so much for everyone. Because of the data the models were initially trained on, they were not so good at understanding people who spoke English as a second language or spoke with an atypical voice. Maybe not surprisingly, the algorithms tend to have difficulty with the same kinds of speech patterns that humans have difficulty with. So people with severe spastic dysarthria because of cerebral palsy or ALS, for example, have a great deal of difficulty being understood by speech recognition algorithms. And in the years since, though algorithms have gotten better, they haven't always gotten better for these groups. So companies have had to find their own ways to make their AI voice assistants more accessible for more people. One of the people working on this is Josh Mealy. He's a principal accessibility researcher for devices at Amazon. In 2021, Mealy was awarded a MacArthur Genius Grant for his work on accessibility in tech. My work is really related to making sure that the products that Amazon produces are accessible to as many people with disabilities as possible. He also has a personal stake in his work. Yeah, so I'm a principal researcher, but I'm also blind. Not only do I know quite a bit about how to conduct research and development of products for people with disabilities, but of course, I'm pretty deeply ingrained in multiple communities of people with disabilities. 
One of the products he works on is Alexa, Amazon's voice assistant. Alexa is now in a number of Amazon products, including its Echo smart speakers. You can shop with your voice. You can read books with your voice. You can watch videos with your voice. For all of Amazon customers, Alexa is super cool. But for customers with disabilities, Alexa can be transformative because it provides access to these services, movies, books, shopping, that are all really frictionful for people with disabilities. Mealy says Amazon's approach to accessibility features comes from its desire to make its products available for as many customers as possible. That's led it in some interesting directions, including a feature that doesn't require speech at all. The customer who couldn't speak let us know that she really wanted to be able to use Alexa in her home. And we came up with Tap to Alexa, which basically uses one of the Echo Show devices and allows you to set up any number of different types of interactions that are triggered by tapping on a particular tile. There's another company called Voiceit. Remember when I mentioned Voiceit earlier, where Michael Cash works? Well, it was founded on principles of accessibility. Our core focus is how can speech recognition be used to help people with disabilities, illnesses, medical situations affecting speech to communicate and be understood using their voice. That's Sarah Smalley, co-founder of Voiceit. In 2020, Voiceit launched an integration with Amazon's Alexa with a voice commands capability. It allowed people to program commands for the voice assistant to follow so that it could do things like turn on the lights in the living room. But that had limitations. But for many people who wanted to speak more fluently and spontaneously, we learned that this could be limiting for them. So there was room for improvement. In August 2023, Voiceit released its newest product called Voiceit 2. It's a browser-based application, and yes, users still have to trade it. But once they do, the app includes new functionalities that unlock the digital world. These functionalities and features include transcription and dictation, so writing notes, documents, and emails using their voices, as well as interacting with AI productivity tools. So being able to interact with ChatGPT by voice is extremely empowering for these individuals. But Smalley says that the most significant capability is that Voicet can create real-time transcripts of what people are saying and integrate that into common workplace software like WebEx. The way I like to describe it sometimes is what a ramp was to an office building, Voicet is to today's remote workplace. If a person cannot join and interact, participate in a video call, then they can't really fulfill their potential and communicate at work. I had the opportunity to try this feature in my interview with Michael Cash, who we met earlier and who works at Voicet. We were using Zoom and the real-time transcription popped up like captions under his video box. It was pretty accurate, though not perfect. And though it was helpful, it was also a little awkward. For someone like me who's used to a quick back and forth in conversation, it was uncomfortable to wait for a few seconds for the transcription to catch up to Cash's words. You could hear it in this bit of our conversation here. I was waiting for a whole three seconds for the transcript to come up. That's cool. You, I mean, you had a clear need and the company was able to address it. While some companies are working to unlock the internet for people with atypical speech, 
others are working to expand voice accessibility in the physical realm. More on these tools after the break. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash F-O-E-F podcast to secure your spot. Companies are getting creative with figuring out new ways to make voice assistance more accessible to more people. Another big tech company working on this? Google. About five years ago, people inside Google started talking about how voice assistants can't reliably understand people with atypical speech. The result? An effort called Project Euphonia. The goal was that anyone who struggles to be understood by other people due to any kind of condition could participate record a number of phrases, and then in exchange for their contributions, we would give them a Visa gift card. That's Julie Katio, a product manager at Google Research. Fast forward to today, people have recorded over 1 million speech samples. Uh, 2,000 people have participated, and they have a very broad range of different disabilities. And so the data set has allowed us to study how to improve speech recognition for people with disabilities. That data has allowed Google to launch a separate app called Project Relate, available to the public on the Google Play Store. The way it works is that users download the app. They are asked to record 500 simple phrases. And then we have a um, backend that automatically trains a personalized speech recognition model. And then users can use this model in the app. It can be used either to transcribe what they're saying, or we have a repeat feature that directly repeats what you've just said in a clear computerized voice. Google says several thousand people have downloaded Project Relate, though it wouldn't share exact numbers. Here's an example of how Relate works from a demo video on Google's website. It shows a person with muscular dystrophy ordering at a coffee shop. Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Ah, gotcha. Thank you. Relate has a few limitations. It's only available in English and in certain countries. And though training a personalized model reduces the error rate for many users, that's not the case for everyone. We still do see sometimes people who have a severe speech impairment. And in this case, the app might actually be quite useless, to be frank, because even if we have data from them, it might not be enough to get signal to actually understand their voice. Google has conducted tests to see if the data it collects from people with disabilities could be used to better train its speech recognition system, called its universal speech model. It can transcribe speech in more than 100 languages. Right now, it's only in use on YouTube. And a Google spokesperson said the company currently has no plans to share on integrating it into other products. You can imagine that for people who want speech recognition to work really well, or maybe they have a quite a strong speech impairment, they might find personalization more useful. But for others, maybe we can make speech recognition simply work out of the box for them. 
Katio says Google's goal is speech recognition that works seamlessly for everyone, right from the start, no user training required. And it's not the only company shooting for this. Voiceit, the company working with Amazon, is aiming for this too. And it's part of what Mark Hasegawa-Johnson, the researcher we heard from earlier, is trying to do too with the Speech Accessibility Project. I like to say that if this works, the only thing that you'll notice is that the mistakes that your system was making before, it's not making as many of those mistakes anymore. The AI systems that power voice assistants like Amazon's Alexa are trained on data. To make these systems better at recognizing atypical voices, you have to feed them a lot more data of people with atypical voices. Seems logical, right? But getting this data isn't always so easy. Hasegawa Johnson is the principal investigator on the Speech Accessibility Project. Our goal really is to make a database of speech of people with disabilities that's large enough and diverse enough that it can make it possible for tech companies and for universities to have an accessible speech recognizer that will work for somebody with disabilities out of the box, where they don't have to personalize it further because it already has a really good model of the range of ways in which disability can affect speech. The Speech Accessibility Project started in 2022 with a grant to run through 2024. Some pretty big names are involved. Amazon, Google, Meta, and Microsoft are funding the project and providing guidance and feedback. The project is aiming to compile the voices of a total of 2,000 people whose speech is affected by Parkinson's, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, stroke, and ALS. So far, Hasegawa Johnson says, it's going well. They started recruiting patients with Parkinson's in April of 2023. And when I spoke to him in November, he said 800 people had signed up, though only 280 of them had speech affected enough by the disease to be useful for the project. People have told us that it's fun to participate. They seem to especially like the spontaneous speech prompts. We'll ask people things like, who's your favorite musician? Or um, how do you make breakfast for a, a group of four people? All kinds of crazy questions, and people have had fun responding to some of those. Participants, people with one of those five conditions and who meet the researchers' criteria, answer prompts into the computer. If they complete it, they receive a total of $180 each. Hasegawa Johnson says the project has built-in privacy protections around the data that it collects. Any university or company that wants to use that data has to adhere to terms that the project sets. For example, if a participant ever decides that they don't want their data in the data set anymore, the researchers using the data set will delete that person's voice from the data set. The companies I spoke with hit some similar points about the privacy of the data that they themselves collect. An Amazon spokesperson said it trains Alexa on real-world requests. Customers have the option to delete their recordings and transcripts, but the company may retain other records of their Alexa interactions. Katio said Google's project Euphonia allows participants to ask that their data be deleted, or they can ask for a copy of their data if they want. And Voiceit Smalley says that it uses customer data to train its algorithm, but that the company follows, quote, the highest standards possible for data privacy, security, and storage. For training speech-language models, Hasegawa Johnson says the data set the project is assembling already seems promising. In one experiment, researchers tested an out-of-the-box speech recognizer on voices from people with Parkinson's. They say, initially, the error rate was 20%. But by training the algorithm on the data the team had collected, they say that error rate went down by half. I think there are a lot more gains to be had from these speech with more clever innovations and algorithms, but even just that very simple step has already reduced the error rate by a factor of two. Hasegawa Johnson says he's hopeful that, through efforts like the Speech Accessibility Project, getting out-of-the-box voice assistance to work well for people with atypical speech could happen in the next few years. But beyond that, 
he says that voice assistants can just be a lot more useful, maybe in places beyond our cell phones and smart speakers. You might have an AI that's able to move between your device, whichever devices you give it permission to move between. And with that voice assistant with you everywhere, I'm hoping that people will be able to use that to do a lot of the things that we use laptops for right now. But Amazon's Josh Mealy says that even though there's more room for voice in the way we interact with our technology, accessibility means never relying too heavily on just one method. Yes, voice is getting better. Voice should get better, but it should never be the only way. And I think that we're in the process of finding and exploring and really developing all of those other ways in addition to voice that we want to interact with our devices. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Alex Osula. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers and wrote our theme music. Catherine Millsop is our supervising producer. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Solana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. Like the show? Tell your friends and leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.